That was good. <laughs> good morning. How are you guys doing? Hey, Josh. Uh, as uh, everybody already mentioned, what's up? Uh, as, as I think Paul might have mentioned, my name is Josh, one of the pastors here. Uh, it is l- just a pleasure. It's an honor to be here with you. I'm, I'm, I love my well family, and, uh, and so it's dope to be here for, for more than one occasion. Not just to get to speak with you today, uh, but I think Paul might have mentioned it, might have made a joke. I was, I was, uh, I was out of the room. But uh, today is my birthday, so. No, you know, I was going to be like, y'all can do better, but that's fine. That was good. That was good. Um, and, and, you know, uh, it, it's, it's, it's really incredible. This specific birthday I told, mentioned to my wife um, this week. I mentioned it to Tori as well this morning. Uh, the past year has been marked by the Lord's graces in my life. I look back last year. Uh, we found out we were pregnant. Uh, we found out my wife was pregnant. I wasn't anything besides food pregnant. Uh, my wife was pregnant. This year, we were getting to hold our daughter. Um, last year, we, we knew church planning was something we desired. We, we lacked some direction uh, and backing in that. And uh, this year, the, the well just, I mean, this year we're here, and, uh, you know, the well behind us, story behind us. And, and so it's just been a, a blessed year, multiple other examples. Uh, and so it's just been a blessing. And to commemorate that, to commemorate, and then in addition to that, I get to preach today. It's like, yo, fam, this is a good day. So, uh, so to commemorate... Uh, I'm going to do what every, you know, millennial does, and I got to drop the selfie. So if you're in this middle section, you got to get it really good, all right? Because the best gathering, the best gathering is going on the gram. So if you want to get gram famous with me and my couple of followers, then you got to get it. But I'm going to count to three, and then this middle section right here, they got to get lit, fam. Okay, Caleb, that was the right idea. That was the right idea. Hands up. If you want to make noise, that doesn't capture the sound, but it adds to the, you know, environment. Uh, so, all right, ready to count to three. One, oh wait, that's not right at all. Okay, all right. One, two, three. That was whack, yo. Man, like I appreciate y'all and everything, but that was weak. Man, first gathering is going on the gram, yo. I'm not even giving y'all another chance, all right? You know what? I appreciate Danny. Danny's gonna get a shout out alone because my man made noise and he stood up. Uh, so, all right, yeah, on to the good stuff. I don't want to take too much time with the. Uh, with the birthday shenanigans. Um, we are in our third week of our series in Ephesians. Um, man, and it, it's been a blessing. One time I remember somebody asked me, like, yo, are you a Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John guy? And I was like, man, uh, I'm kind of an Ephesians guy. I was like, it's my go-to. It's what I cling to most often. Uh, it, it's such an encouraging book about what the Lord's doing uh, in the world, specifically what he did in the life of the Ephesians, and that speaks volumes to us about what he's doing in our lives. Um, if you have not actually got a chance to go back and listen to the first two sermons that, that, that Tori brought in the series, you can hop on the podcast and bless yourself, okay, because that mess is fire. Um, the first week, we really had a, a, an in-depth personal look at what the richness of life in Christ looks like, uh, and that's a blessing. And then from there, Paul went on into the second portion of chapter one and really showed what it means and what it looks like to have an affection for the body of Christ, okay? And he prays this in-depth, loving prayer to the body, uh, over the body that he loves so dearly, which kind of takes us into uh, this week as we start to explore Ephesians 2. Uh, Ephesians 2 is poignant because it begins to build a profile on the church and on the people that Paul loves so dearly. And it really paints the correct picture of who we are and who God is. All right, kind of to say it a little bit differently, um, this is one of the most treasured texts in the entirety of Scripture. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is what we're going to be going through today. 
Uh, so it is also happy birthday to me on that front too. But um, one of the primary reasons that is, is because it encapsulates the relationship between God and humanity. It reveals why the world is in the condition that it's in, who's at fault, and why it happens. Now, that's extremely important when we kind of look at our culture and society and know that there's so many things going on um, that honestly can fill us with a lot of fear. But the best thing that the text does, I think, is that while pointing out those piercing realities, it goes on to give us a hope and a solution that invites us into a partnership and a relationship with God that allows us to change the world around us, really. So uh, we're going to go ahead and dive in this morning. Let's go ahead and get into the text. We're going to be in Ephesians 2. Uh, 1 through 10. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hands. Our ushers are actually going to drop by and give you a Bible. If you don't own a Bible, like flat out, period, then that is our gift to you. Take that home, read it. It's our gift to you. We want your eyes on Scripture. In addition, if you have the Version app, you can select the menu, go to events, search the well. You can pull up Scripture and notes there, or you can just, you know, plug this here link into your, uh, your, your internet, internet deal, you know, whatever that thing is. I'm 28, yo, but like, I don't know nothing about computers, so do that, and um, all that good stuff. So uh, let's go ahead and dive in, because we have a lot to go over this morning. Um, We're going to start at verse 1 in chapter 2. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ." Uh, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, If you would pray with me as we get started. Father, thank you so much for this time. Uh, Thank you for your word. Thank you uh, that you communicated to us to help us know who we are, where we are, where we come from, who you are where you're taking us, what you've done in our lives. I ask that you would uh, open all of our hearts and minds to receive what you would have for us today. In addition, empty me, Father, of anything that may be uh, settling in for me. Let me just speak what you would have a desire uh, to say in this body today. Let your spirit be at work and your presence be felt. Uh, We love you. We thank you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, all right, before we get started, I kind of want to let you guys know... um, uh, there, 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 you know, there, there are times where you definitely have a lot to go through. And in this text today, we have a ton to go through. So there are a lot of times you might see me, and when I preach prior, drift off this way and be like, you know, and then drift off this way and be like, today I'm fixing to be right here. All right, I'm fixing to be right here. So if I drift off, y'all just be like, just let me know, okay, because it's important. I want to honor your time. I also want to honor the text to get through it and really uh, uh, pull out what we need to pull out. In addition, 
Uh, in the text today, I, I want to break it down uh, into, in three specific ways that I believe Paul is intending for it to be understood and broken down. One is our ailment, our solution, and our impact. Those are the three. Now, I, I want you to see this because as we begin to read Scripture apart from Ephesians, it's great to begin to understand that the authors of Scripture actually break things down in a way to help us uh, understand, to make Scripture more palatable. As we begin to read Scripture and begin to break down the chunks and the ideas that are working, we'll actually be able to really understand more deeply and better what the author was trying to communicate in the first place. So as to uh, today, as we kind of work our way through these three specific titles, I want us to really start kind of gauging, okay, how did this work? Why was it labeled this? And as we move on into other texts in your own personal time, start to think through, hey, what is being communicated in this chunk of text, in the next chunk of text? This will really help you and benefit you as you read text and scripture on your own. Now, to begin, we start with ailment, and Paul uh, dives right in right off the bat, and he's like, yo, your ailment is you were dead in trespasses and sin. That's heavy. That's heavy. And, and the thing is, he's talking to Christians. He's talking to people that were saved. But this is kind of one of those gut punches that doesn't hold back. You know what I mean? It's one of them, ah, and then you feel it. It stings. It sets with you for a while. It's like that friend that we all have that, like, they love us, but they love us a little rough. They love us a little hard. And, uh, and really, that, that's what he's doing here. You know, we all have that friend that we, we, we know we should probably consult in the matter of decision-making, but we also know we should probably consult that friend a little bit later in the process. You know, it's kind of tough because it will be like, yo, I really like this shirt. That shirt's trash, bro. Dang. <laughs> right? Like, and then you look in the mirror for a second and you're like, yo, this shirt is trash. Like, he's right. I'm going to hang this back up. Right? And then you bring the, 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 like, man, I really like this girl, I really like this guy, whatever, you know, and, and they're like, that's not the one. Like, there's been two weeks. What do you mean it's not the one? How do you know that? Then you look at the girl, the guy a little bit more, and you're like, you know what? Yeah, she ain't the one. That's true. That's true. I want to buy this. You ain't got that kind of money. How do you know about my money? You better watch out. And then you start looking at your bank account. You're like, he's right. I don't got that kind of money. I'm going to put it back on the rack, you know? It, it's a love that's willing to look and go, yo, I want the best for you, and that's not it. It's a love that's willing to sacrifice some, some, some comfort in order to communicate not just what someone wants, but to ensure that someone has what's best for them, not just what they want. And in a culture now today that says love is marked specifically by the affirmation, the acceptance of every single thing that has to do with somebody, that's the only way we're able to really show and display love to someone, it's refreshing and also challenging to see Paul love this church that he just prayed over so deeply at the end of chapter one, to start by going, I'm going to tell you something now, beloved, my family, my loved ones that you do not want to hear. Yo, you were wrong. What the ailment was in the past for you, Christian, right? Christian, what your ailment was that you were dead in trespasses and sin. That stings a little bit, but, but, but like any good friend, he doesn't just say, hey, man, you were wrong here. He says, here's how you were wrong here. Here's how it happened. Here's where it happened. He goes on right after that to say, hey, uh, following, you were dead in trespasses and sins, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and of the body and the mind. Uh, this is one of the most crucial areas of scripture because it reveals how sin works in humanity. In our lives, 
Uh, it gives us three places where we can really derive sin at work in our lives. That is one, the world, the enemy, and our flesh. It's not to say that, that these are at work one at a time. It's to say that Paul begins to reveal a symphony of influence in our hearts. A symphony of influence. They, they, they work symbiotically. They depend on one another and use one another in order to bring about desires that are opposing and contrary to God's desire for us. The first one that he starts with is the course of the world. Now, we all know, we all know that cultures have beautiful, beautiful characteristics and aspects to them. We all have our favorite. Por ejemplo, right? For example, yo, I love being Mexican-American. I love being Hispanic, right? right? That's, yeah. <laughs> I didn't get that first gathering, so that made me live right there. That made me happy. But I specifically love being Mexican-American. Right, yo, straight up, like, I remember, like, a few months ago, everybody was really sad, and they were walking around like, yo, the U.S. didn't make it into the World Cup. And I was like, ah, that's really sad, bro. <laughs> Inside, I was like, I don't care about that. You know why? Because Mexico's in that thing, baby. Mexico's in there. And you know what? I got a little onesie Mexico jersey coming from my daughter. All right, we're going to go. I got the flag out. You know what I mean? We're going to go get jerseys. My wife, she's Caucasian. She's going to be an honorary Mexican that day. Like, I, we're ready. We're ready. I love it. I love being Hispanic. I love being Mexican-American. I love the food. I love how family-oriented we are. I love the hardworking nature. I love all of it. I love the language. I love all of it. But I would be a fool, a fool to not understand and accept that there are aspects and characteristics of the very culture that I love that are not contrary to God's goodwill. Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, in Mexican-American culture and, and Hispanic culture at large deals with, with just straight up like some, some machismo, some, some manly pride. Beats our chest and, and values being a man so much that I had certain family members that when I found out we were having a daughter, they acted and responded in disappointment, telling me that, man, maybe next time, maybe next time you'll have a son. What does that say about the dignity and value of my daughter? who was created in the image of God to reflect his glory and beauty in the world. But better luck next time. That's wrong. That's wrong. There, despite the fact there, there's systemic reasons behind a lot of it, uh, communities in my culture, in my specific ethnic heritage, are plagued, plagued by crime and abuse fatherlessness. Man, these are the ways of this specific culture that I love so dear that actually are contrary to God's beautiful design. And that's in every culture. Because every culture, no matter if it's, it's the ethnic heritage of being Hispanic or whatever it is that you specifically walk in, whatever you subscribe to most, every culture will take something that is an earthly thing and make it into an ultimate thing. Every single one. It can be good things at times. We're, we're, as Hispanics, we're family-oriented. We love family, all that good stuff. But man, if your family becomes the idol of your life, you will bear down and crush your family and neglect the God that gave you them to steward them well. Every single culture makes something greater than it should be and elevates it to take the place of God. And so as we pursue any culture that we walk in, any culture that we, we identify with, as we pursue the course of the world, we have to know that there are beautiful parts to each one. And at the same time, there are parts that are in exact you know, opposition to the will of God for his creation. 
to the design of God for his creation. So if you walk in any culture without the critical eye, if you walk in any course of the world without the critical eye to say there are things here that are good, but there are also things here that are evil, you will undoubtedly follow and pursue the culture into disobedience to God. Now, the world is one, but secondly, moving past the world, moving, moving along, Paul gives a second, which is now you're also following the prince of the power of the air. That is the enemy. The second avenue of sin, the enemy, uh, this is one that, that, that's tricky because it's intricately and intimately related to the third, which is the flesh. You see, in, in, in whatever our day is, whatever, whatever we're doing, whatever the culture has been, the enemy works his way into our hearts by looking at us and going, hey, let me whisper the lie that this is more valuable, more treasurable, will bring you more satisfaction, will bring you more fulfillment, will bring you more happiness, will bring you more joy than God. That lie begins to be whispered into the ears of humanity. And after that, it's followed by a secondary lie that goes, man, and, and God's commands for your life, they're, they're restrictive. They hold you back. They prevent you from getting what you would want. And as those lies seep into our hearts, they intricately work with the third one, which is the flesh, as we then respond by going, you know what? I bet you that thing would bring more meaning to my life. I bet you that car, that job, that person, that action, I bet you that would bring more meaning to my life. And as soon as that becomes elevated above God in our lives, that we identify that our life change hinges on whether we have, have obtained, or have done this specific thing, then the, the second light creeps in and goes, and man, if I follow everything that God tells me to do, I can't get this. God's commands for my life are restrictive. Man, they are burdensome. They prevent me from getting the thing that would change my life. That's exactly the route. It's tricky. It's tricky because it feels like wisdom and it feels like freedom, but in reality, it's destruction. I believe it's Proverbs 19 that says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. And this isn't an old game plan. This is the same game plan that's taken place since the beginning. If we go back to Genesis, in the book of Genesis, in the very first or the third chapter, the enemy comes in and goes, man, did God say you can't eat that fruit? I.e., how awesome does that fruit look? Wouldn't that be great to eat that fruit? He's like, I don't know. God said we shouldn't eat it. Ah, blah, blah. And then he's like, I mean, did God really say that? He's just worried that if you take that fruit, you'll be like him. And you see, that's the goal. When the enemy comes in to tempt humanity, when the enemy comes in to tempt us, it's never from a place that desires to make him the king and the Lord of your life. It's why satanic temples are deceitful. Because the aim of the enemy in tempting us, the aim of, of our own flesh is not to make the enemy the Lord, it's to make me the Lord. The aim of the enemy is not to make him the king. The aim of the enemy is for your and mine destruction. That's the enemy. And the only thing he needs for that is not for him to be king, but he only needs for Jesus not to be king. 
And the easiest way to do that is to slide in and go, you know who would make a better decision than God? You. And so we take it into our own hands. We become the arbiter of what's right. We become the arbiter of what's wrong. We say, okay, God, give me your opinion. Uh, I'm going to take my opinion. I'm going to take that, the culture's opinion, right? I'm going to take what they say is a value, what I say is a value, what you say is a value. And now in my own hands, I will make the decision on what the best direction is. But every time we do that, we look at God and go, you do not know what's right. You do not know what's wrong. I have a better opinion than yours. I'm not, you're not the king. I am. And this is such a dangerous road to walk because with each action and each disobedient action against the Lord, we fall deeper and deeper into treason. We fall deeper and deeper into being a traitor because God is the king. He's the king of this universe. Satan was was ejected right out of heaven. Why? Because he waged a civil war against God. And when we partner with our sin, we partner with what is opposed to God, we take up arms and go, what you made, what you declared to be right, I disagree with. God designed and made the world to be filled with his truth, filled with his love, filled with his compassion, filled with his grace. And every time we lie, we directly oppose that will and go, I know better. Every time we cheat, we directly oppose the will and go, no, 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 that's wrong. I know better. He designed the world to be filled with his faithfulness every time we're unfaithful, whether it's to our God, our our, our spouse, our children, our job. We go, no, 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 I I know better. I I will stage a coup against you and your commandments. This is why Paul, at the end of verse 3, says, Now you, like them, like the children of disobedience, sons of disobedience, you are children of wrath. Why? Because as a good and just God, and as a good and just judge, God must look at those who have disobeyed and are guilty of treason, are guilty of being betrayers to the kingdom, and judge them accordingly. There are countries, developed countries, that the act of treason is punishable by death now. Let me give you an example. Let me give you just an example real quick. When I, um, when we, when me and my wife invite a lot of people over, I get a bunch of shoes and I go to the entryway and I just throw them down there. You know why? Because when people come in, they could be like, yo, and they're going to take their shoes off. I don't know where your feet have been, y'all. Y'all are nasty. In fact, on top of that, on top of that, I just had somebody earlier be like, yo, when you return from customs uh, from another country, they'll ask you, like, yo, did you, did you handle, uh, uh, like, farm animals? If you check yes, they end up spraying what? Your shoes. They end up spraying your shoes. So they're like, yo, what if you track diseases with what? Your shoes. So they're nasty. They're nasty. So I throw the shoes down there so that people will take their shoes off and come in, and then I don't have to worry about their shoes. Because, you know, I don't want 20 different... That's what, if that's 20 people, that's like, what, 40 feet? That's nasty. All right? Now, if, if they were to roll into my house, 
walk through my, my entryway into my living room, had their shoes on, and I was like, hey, yo, bro, can you just take your shoes off and leave them at the front? And that person looked at me and went like, nah, this is a better idea. No one in here would disagree with me that that's mad disrespectful. No one in here would disagree with me that that is the most disrespectful thing. Why? Because it's, it's my house. It's my house. I own it. The title, the deed, it says Joshua Guerrero on it. I pay the bills. I cut the grass. I check and keep up with the maintenance. If it wasn't for me, that house would fall apart. I sustain it. It's mine. I love it because it's mine. I care for it because I love it. It's, it's mine. And so when I look at you and go, yo, can you take your shoes off in my house? No one in here would disagree with me that it's disrespectful to look at the owner of the house and go, no, you're wrong. This is better. And no one in here would bat an eye if I were to look at that brother and go, all right, man, you know, if you're just going to completely, you know, just disregard and disrespect all the rules I have for my house, then you can leave, man. No one in here would bat an eye at me for doing that. But why don't we extend that same courtesy to God? Because it's his universe. See, the deed, the, the title to, God's uni- to, to, to the universe, it, it's God's. He made it. Colossians 1 says he sustains it. If he were to retract his will, it would fall apart. It's his. And as his, he gets to decide the rules of the universe. He gets to decide the rules of the house. You see, the thing is, when we disobey those rules, we don't like the implication of like, yo, I'm I'm disrespecting the house rules. That's a deeper weight. And and then on top of that, we have the audacity at times to look at God's rules because we we, we hear the lies of the enemy. We, We begin to follow the temptations of our flesh. And we say, man, I don't even think that's a good rule. Yet Deuteronomy says, the commandments of the Lord are for your good. They're for your good. So, man, following them literally produces life for us, life as it was intended to be, life as it was meant to be. But even if that wasn't the case, it's still the rules. It's still the rules. Yo, somebody came up to my doorway, like, straight up and took the shoes out of the box. Like, them bad boys were fresh to death. You know, they just, and they slid them on and then stepped in the door and like, look, there's nothing on my shoes. And I was still like, yo, I still really need you to take your shoes off. No one would, I mean, it'd still be chill. It'd still be cool. Why? Because it's my house. The universe is the Lord's and everything therein. And so as we begin to walk, as we begin to walk through this life, our sin, the, 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 the culture, the world, uh, the, the, the enemy, our flesh, they all just, just, just push us deeper and deeper and deeper into disobedience, deeper and deeper into treason, deeper and deeper into being a traitor against God, deeper and deeper into that space, and deeper and deeper into God's wrath. And the crazy part is because of how Paul has painted this picture, there's no escaping it. The world, the enemy, and the flesh have pinned us in at every corner. Now, I know that it's Sunday morning and, and you're like, yo, I ain't come to hear this. Like, <laughs> I ain't come to hear this. And I get that. I understand that it's a rather grim depiction and it's a rather grim outlook. But this is where things get unbelievably good. Because it's at verse 4 
that we turn the corner from the ailment and we turn the corner toward the solution. But the solution has nothing to do with me and it has nothing to do with you. Verse 4 starts with two of the most powerful words in the entire Bible, if not the most powerful words. Can you put that up? It starts with, but God. And like, I'm trying not to scream right now, y'all. Like, I'm just, it's, I want to say it quietly. I want to say it calmly because I want you to pick up what I'm saying. The solution starts not with now you need to. The solution starts with, but God. Paul understands that God, and he, he goes, you know, before that, he goes on to describe him, but God being what? Rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive. Paul understands, man, I painted this grim picture of you. And I get that. I know that you feel that. But don't look there too long. Don't keep your eyes on you too long because the solution has nothing to do with you. No, focus your eyes now on this God, on this Jesus, him rich in mercy, with great love for us. Yes, you were guilty, but man, he is innocent. You were lowly, but he is exalted up. Yes, you, yeah, man, you were bound and destined for wrath, but he took your place. He died on a cross and received the punishment that you deserved, that I deserved. And in that, he extends new life to you now. There was you. There was me not believing. Our backs turned to God. But there was God pursuing us, choosing us, making us alive, whether we wanted it or whether we didn't. But but he came and he said, no, man, I love you. I love you. My grace meets you. Your sin, my mercy meets your failure. But God, but God, Paul understands that this solution is not to pick yourself up. The solution is not to dust yourself off. The solution is to fix your eyes upon Jesus and to see the work that he's done on our behalf. That's the solution. That's the solution, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the solution to the burden and the weight of our lives, to the burden and the weight of our sin, to the choices and the shame that have happened uh, because of those, uh, because of the sin. Like All that, the solution has nothing to do with me getting up and being better. The solution only has to do with me looking at the beauty and the glory of God. So much so that he wants to remind us like, yo, um, In verse 7, he goes on to say, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his glory in Jesus Christ, of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. One of the main things that ends up happening here is, 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 and I felt this, I know that some of us in here feel this, we begin to hear this gospel, this good news, this beautiful message of God's grace and kindness and love toward us. And what ends up happening is we perceive the gospel to be a fresh start, a fresh start that we now are given the opportunity to go back and make up for one through three. I've received such a love, now I go and make up for it. Now I go and, and try to make up. So now, now I've been forgiven, but now i got to get the scales right on my own. And he says, no, no, no. Paul says, no, you're, you're still not getting it. 
I, I want you to get it and understand it to its depth and to its core. The reason he saved you was for your good because he loves you, but also in eternity when everyone looks at Josh and looks at you and goes, how in the world did these people get here? The host of heaven is going to rise up and declare and scream out, it's because of him. It's because of him. The immeasurable riches of his grace in the kindness he's shown Joshua as he's shown me in Christ Jesus, that's why Josh is here. You think Josh, the 13-year-old drug dealer, got here on his own? He didn't. You know who got him here? Him. So take your eyes off of Josh. Josh, take your eyes off of Josh. You, take your eyes off of you and set them on the beauty and the grace and the kindness that is in Jesus Christ. That's the message. That's the solution. And just to reiterate and make sure we get it, he backs it up by just being in one more time for grace. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not what? Your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one, not one single person, not the pastor, not the person that came here for the first time, so that no one can boast, that all of us were on equal playing fields now and forever, that we all would look and give the credit to Jesus and Jesus alone. That's the solution. Um, we need to rest in that grace. That, that's challenging. What I just said was challenging. It challenges our human pride to say, now I want to go show and prove this. I want to go make myself this way. But, but friends, the Lord who loves you is calling you into a space where you're merely loved by him. That's it. We rest in that grace. We depend on that grace. We rely on that grace. We live in that grace. We breathe that grace. And as that happens, we begin to be formed by that grace. And instead of feeling like we want to go back and make up for verses 1 through 3, make up for all the choices, make up for all the mistakes, instead now something changes and we now work in what Pastor D.A. Carson, a theologian, uh, calls grace-driven motivation. Man, we're impacted so deeply by the love of God we're impacted so deeply by the immeasurable grace that we could not afford that we now begin to respond not in a way that wants to make up and prove ourselves, but in a way that wants to act in appreciation, adoration, and gratitude toward God. When we're impacted by the grace and the gospel of Jesus, and we begin to let that grace form us, it moves us to our third category, which is our impact. Our impact. That last verse, he put up 210, Sarah. He says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What that workmanship word means is something close to saying we are God's masterpiece. In eternity, when the host of heaven looks at us and goes, man, how did he get here? They're going to cry out, he or she is a masterpiece of God's grace. She or he or she is a masterpiece of God's love. They were made new in Christ Jesus. They came into Christ Jesus. When they were made alive, they were in Christ Jesus, made new, and they became a masterpiece of his grace. And then his grace began to shape that person, began to shape me, began to shape you, 
and it moved us to good works, grace-driven motivation. His grace pushed us and urged us, and out of appreciation devotion, we now do good works that God prepared beforehand. He chose us. He called us. He loved us when there was nothing in our hearts to be loved. When we had disobeyed, when we had committed treason, when we had been traitors, he loved us. And as Romans 4 says, it, it, it's, it's here that while we were sinners, Christ showed his love for us that he died for us. Right there, right then. I think this would have been extremely impactful being uh, written to the Ephesian church. Uh, don't, we're not going to put the text up, but go check it out on your own. In Acts 19, the Ephesian church just, this wasn't a letter that made them think, oh yeah, like that, that sounds nice. They knew this was possible. They knew that this gospel could shape and change their lives and shape and change the world around them through them. Because in Acts 19, in Paul's first trip to Ephesus, the gospel began to spread rapidly and radically. One of the goddesses, the primary goddess of, of Ephesus was Artemis. And Artemis had a, a temple. She was one of the primary idols that was, that was, that was lifted up and exalted in the city of Ephesus. Uh, people would make idols of hers, uh, uh, scrolls to read off her prayers. They would make all these things and sell them, and people would buy them in mass quantities. But when the gospel started changing the lives and hearts of people in Ephesus... In Paul's first trip there, people literally began to go into the streets and dump their idols into piles on the ground and set them on fire because the gospel had changed their heart and now something was more valuable than that. What if that happened today? What if that happened today in Austin? You heard Tori talking first in, in, in the first gathering in, in week one. Man, what if Ephesus was actually just like Austin? What, what if what happened in Ephesus happened here? This was weighty for them because they knew, man, this can happen. If we go out there and we just live out these good works, if we just run with God's grace, if we take a hold of this message of grace, this message of love, this message, and we no longer feel burdened by our sin, but now we run just to yell and scream and herald the message of this great and wonderful Jesus, what can happen in our city? The Ephesians thought back and said, that can happen. They can burn idols in the streets and, and, and the entire economy can start to change. The way it did in Ephesus when, when the idol makers started to be like, yo, I, I, we got to do something about this gospel, man. Like, we're going to lose our livelihood because no one's buying idols anymore. What if that happened here? What if that happened in our culture? What if that happened in our families? What if that happened in our societies, our groups? What if this happened with porn? What if this happened with the perversion we see right now running rampant through things like Hollywood? What if this happened with, with the way people distort and twist power in order to, to hold it among, to hold it over other people and treat them poorly. What if that happened here? What would, our, what would our world look like? What would our society look like if we just ran with God's grace? But that's the point. Just run with it. Just run with it. Hear the message of his grace. Hear the message of his goodness. And then don't just sit on it. Run with it. Take it. Men, go love on somebody. If you're a Christian in here, go love on your neighbor. Go with my boy Todd Watkins and just go share the gospel. There are plenty of people in here in our well family who have gone through times where they need our body to surround them and love them. Go love on one of those people. Find them. And maybe you feel called to go across the world. Go to London. 
Later on this year, we're going to Mumbai. Go to Mumbai. I'm planning a church in South Austin. Go to South Austin. That was, sorry, sorry. That was a plug. That was a plug. Let's rein it back in. Um, it, whatever your heart is, whatever it is, run with that. Once that message of grace gets into you, run with it. And on the other hand, man, if, if, if you have felt the burden of today, and I know, I know, family, it was heavy. Man, but if you're in here and you don't know that grace, you don't know that Jesus. But you know, man, I, I felt the weight of that one through three part. I felt the weight of the ailment. I know what it's like to feel like I want everything in my hands. I know what it's like to feel like I want to be the arbiter of good and bad. I know the weight of what it means and what it feels like to have that backfire on me, to be hurt by my choices. I feel the weight of my guilt. I feel the weight of my shame. But what I want to know and what I want to feel is that solution. What I want to feel is that Jesus. Then, man, friend, maybe for you today, running with that grace looks like accepting him. Looks like talking to somebody about what it means to follow Jesus. Maybe it looks like coming back to church next weekend. Maybe it looks like going to community group this week. Maybe that looks like opening your Bible. Maybe that looks like praying. And I know that could be weird. You know, I know it could be like, I'm, hey, God, I feel like I'm talking to a wall. But they say that if I pray to you, you know, you'll be here. And I want you to know that I'm here. And friend, that's exactly where he'll be, with you. No matter which of those two you're in, no matter which of those two groups you're categorized in, my prayer for us today is that we would see the massive weight of God's glory and his grace to us and his love toward us. And that if you today felt the massive weight of your sin, that you would set your eyes upon the massive weight of his glory and you would let the weight of that glory displace and erase the weight of that sin. And from there, you would run with that grace. You would run with that grace. You would run with it and do the good works that God has called you to before the foundation of the earth. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for your gospel, God. Thank you that you, Lord, have seen us in our most vulnerable and have seen us in our most lowly space, and yet you have loved us. You have loved us with a love that we could not afford, and you have extended a grace to us that we could not afford. And you call us to know and rest in that grace above and beyond resting in anything else. Today in our hearts, um, let us be intimate with you. Let us know the depth of the love you have for us, the grace you have for us. And let us run with it, God. Let us run with it. Love you. Thank you. Pray these things in the name of Jesus, to your glory. Amen.